This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to episode 483 of IAQ Radio. It's Friday, October 27th, 2017. And this week, we welcome Adjuster Peter Crosa and Attorney Jamie Buchanan. We're going to be talking about insurance coverage issues and assignment of benefit and uh, get a little update on how things are going in Florida and Puerto Rico after the recent hurricane issues in those areas. Uh, Before we do, let's thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particles Plus, when you inquire about their services or products, and uh, last but not least, if you haven't gotten registered yet, jump online at healthybuildingssummit.com. We still got a few slots left for next week's conference. We'll be at Seven Springs Resort, November 2nd through the 4th, and uh, looking forward to seeing a lot of listeners there. And uh, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio trivia question. Hello, everyone, and congratulations to John LaBotere, IAQ Solutions, Winter Springs, Florida, for being first to identify aircraft as the military equipment to which polyurethane foam insulation was first applied. The IAQ Radio trivia question for today, Friday, October 27, 2017, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's trivia question. When Christopher Columbus landed in Puerto Rico in 1493, he named the island San Juan Batista in honor of John the Baptist. What name did the Spanish then give to the island's first capital? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Okay, today we're going to go ladies first. We've got Jamie Buchanan. She is a uh, partner now in the law firm, the Cohen Law Group. She's been with them since 2012. Her undergraduate work was at the University of Delaware, and after she graduated there, she worked at an asbestos law firm in the Wilmington, Delaware area. Thereafter, she attended law school and received her law degree from Barry University Law School. Jamie also worked as a general litigation firm in Maryland during law school and for a family law solo practitioner during her third year of law school. Prior to joining the firm, she practiced in the field of health insurance law for a revenue recovery company in Florida. And since joining the firm, Jamie's practice is focused on first-party insurance claims in the intake department and has recently been named, as I said earlier, a partner at the Cohen Law Group. 
We've also got Peter Krosa. Peter's an independent assurance insurance adjuster and the current president of the National Independent Insurance Adjusters Association. He's been a licensed independent adjuster and private investigator for over 30 years, handling large, complex losses throughout the United States and Latin America. Since 2000, he's been traveling the country and conducting workshops and doing speeches on the topic of marketing vendor services to adjusters and insurance companies. He's also the author of four books, including The Restoration Contractor's Guide to Insurance Repair, Soft Selling Hardened Claims Adjusters, and Claims Marketing Tips, and An Adjuster is What an Adjuster Does. He's also a frequent contributor to Clean Facts Magazine and other industry publications. All right, let's get him on the line. Hello, Jamie, do we have you? Yes, hello. Welcome. Great to, great to have you joining us. And I don't know that all the listeners realize, but the, the Cohen Law Group is based out of uh, just outside of Orlando, Florida. And uh, Peter, do we have you on the line? Hey, I am here. Greetings, everyone. Welcome, Peter. And you're in Florida as well. What part of Florida are you in? Uh, St. Petersburg, of course. St. Petersburg. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, let's start with... Uh, Jamie, um, we want to get a little update. Harvey Cohen is uh, your partner in the law firm, and I understand he recently went to Puerto Rico. I'm wondering if he gave you a little, you know, update on what was happening on the island and how things are covering uh, coming along at this point in Puerto Rico. Yes, he actually uh, has been there a few times um, with right after the hurricane, and then again a few times after. Uh, things are definitely. Uh, moving forward, um, we've seen adjusters getting out to different areas, but the the damage that they incurred was so extensive. Um, and I mean, he had sent us some pictures from when he was there, and it's it's pretty devastating. And you know, hotels and large properties um, and individual homes, everything. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of damage there. Um, but recently, he's seen some. Uh, you know, some movement with work being um, done and people being able to move forward. So that's a huge improvement. I mean, they have a long, long road ahead of them um, for recovery, but things are definitely um, moving in the right direction. You know, I, I recently saw on the news or read in the paper that, the, that I guess there's two large Marriott hotels and they don't expect to be open for a year. Do you know where Peter stayed? Were, were there hotels that were available, or did he have to stay with friends? or How did that work? Oh, Har Har for Harvey, Harvey when he I'm was sorry. there, yes. uh, he stayed with, uh, with people that, that lived there. Um, getting in and out is still very difficult. Um, I do know they had to travel to the Dominican originally before they could even get to Puerto Rico, um, the Dominican Republic. So I know that that has been very difficult, but... Uh, people are getting there, they're they're scoping out the damages and seeing what type of work needs to be done. So the they're still in the very, very early stages, the, the contractors that are getting there to see what needs to be done. Um, but but there is movement. You know, things are starting to, to move in that direction and people are, are thinking about repairs and rebuilding. But yes, it's going to be a, a, a very long time Lengthy before recovery. things are back up and running. Peter, give us a little uh, update on how things are going in Florida in general, and, I, and if you've been to any of the um, islands that were hit or been talking with people there, give, us, give listeners a little update on what you're hearing. Okay, well, um, 
first, uh, you have to take into consideration that the insurance industry was dealing with uh, Hurricane Nate, Hurricane Harvey, and Hurricane Irma, coupled with the forest fires on the west coast of the country. And so before Puerto Rico sustained the damage it did, pretty much everybody was deployed. All of the insurance adjusting practitioners are already out into the field and plugged into uh, a, a job um, uh, structure so that when, when Puerto Rico sustained its damages, there's basically like nobody left except whoever's on Puerto Rico, and there were a handful of adjusters there. But in Florida here, uh, so Florida wasn't hit as badly as Houston was, if you'll recall, but Florida had, has pockets of, of substantial damage throughout the entire state. I would say Jacksonville surprisingly sustained some decent damage. Uh, even central Florida, the Orlando area, I, I know personally of a million-dollar uh, residential loss uh, that's pretty much totaled that happened in Orlando. And then certainly down in the southwest corner of Florida, uh, where the storm came ashore after it crossed the Keys. And the part of the Keys that was totally devastated was right through the middle, which is somewhere around the, the larger Keys, like Key Largo and so on. Key West sort of dodged a bullet, but they were shut down for weeks in terms of power and, uh, uh, you know, uh, structure, the um, superstructure. Uh, and so, I mean, Florida's coming along. Right now in Tampa, if you drive around in the Tampa Bay area, you won't see anything. Uh, you, you don't see evident, much evidence of damage. You see some piles of trees here and there, but nothing uh, like the devastation you would have expected from the storm as it approached Florida from what was feared. Peter, how, you know, when... You bring up a great point in that the insurance adjusters, I'm sure every adjuster available was working in Texas and now in Florida. And then there was, you know, they got hit actually down in um, Mississippi. And what what do the insurance companies do when they're out of adjusters? Do they quickly hire people up and train them? Do they bring people in from other parts of the country? How do they handle that? Yeah. Well, yeah, there there are adjusters from all over the country working these losses that happen throughout the southern borders of the states. Uh, so uh, they're basically out of adjusters, and it's too late to start training people then because you don't you don't train somebody in a matter of a week or two and send them out on storm losses. So so basically, some people are not being serviced, and so there's a there's a uh, a process of prioritizing which claim you go to first. And, of course, the first ones are the total losses, then the substantial damages, and on down to where somebody's just got a fence blown over or something. They're not going to see an adjuster for months. Hmm. And, and the, basically that's how it's done. There's not enough adjusters to service the need when something like these catastrophes happen. Let me throw Simply a question. not enough. I'm going to throw a question out for either one of you or both of you. What you know, we we see a lot of coverage in the newspaper and on the on the television. But what important stories about the recovery efforts, from your your perspective, are not getting enough attention? Jamie, let's start with you. Sure. So I think uh, just a lot that came out initially was about the the ma like uh, Pete was saying about the major damage, the uh, total losses or trees through roofs or um, 
you know, the flooding, uh, that took precedence, obviously, because those are major issues. But things that are, are coming up now that I think uh, a lot of people need to be aware of are um, uh, where there is damage and um, it might be uh, unsure as to the amount, so figuring out the, the total loss. A lot of those are coming in under deductible, and that's something that scares a lot of people uh, where the insurance company is saying that it, you know, the claim is under deductible. And that's something for people to be aware of that if that does come to light, it's, it's something that they should look into. Um, and just policy coverage in general, making sure, you know, for next year or future years that, you know, homeowners have uh, correct coverage uh, to insure. Because I've actually talked to a lot of people who are either underinsured or don't have wind coverage or hurricane coverage. And um, then they're going to be, you know, technically they're self-insured at that point for a hurricane. Hmm. Um, and this can be tens of thousands of dollars um, if, you're, if there is a hurricane that comes through. So, I mean, education on insurance policies, I think, is really important. So it is possible to buy a insurance policy in Florida that doesn't cover wind or hurricanes? Yes. <laughs> wow. I, I could give you a scenario th that I actually uh, received uh, on September 10th when the hurricane passed through. It's a nonprofit, but it's a substantial-sized nonprofit involving millions of dollars of revenues coming and going. And they elected to buy a first-party property policy on their building that excluded damage by wind. Mm -hmm. And the reason they did that was to, to get a break in premiums and because no hurricane had ever directly hit St. Petersburg before or in, or in 100 years or something like that. And so they thought it's never going to happen. Well, sure enough, uh, six months later, after the effective date of the policy, their roof blows off. Their entire roof blows off. And, and the odd thing is, if you stand in their neighborhood and you look around, you won't see any other damage. It's wow. not like the entire neighborhood got wiped out. Their roof blown off and no coverage, totally inundated with water uh, in this wow. enterprise and absolutely no coverage for it. Now, are these all people that do not have a mortgage any longer? You would think the mortgage company would, if there was a mortgage, would require that type of insurance. Jamie, Peter, fill me in. The ones that I've uh, I've been I've heard about, um, I know of two. They were residential policies, and there there was no mortgage. It was okay. the home had been paid off. So uh, I'm sure a mortgage company would require certain coverages, but. There are insurance policies out there that where there are mortgages that don't have water damage coverage, so um, and they're allowed to be sold. So, um, interesting. You know, I don't, I don't know. I think it's just an education issue on a whole that you know people need to be aware of what's in their policy and how to read it because it is very confusing. Well, that's why we're here, um, Cliff. Let me have you <laughs> jump in here. Okay, um, I think I have a, a question for Peter. Peter, um, who is Widow Brown? <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, this summer at the Restoration Industry Association, uh, we had a, uh, their annual conference, and the topic of the Widow Brown came up. And it's actually a representation 
of every property owner that comes out on the short end of the stick. So a property owner who whose contractor tells them you need this place is not dried out, but whose insurance company tells them we're only allowing for three days drying or less. And so the, the property owner is stuck in the middle. And more, more often than not, they are not uh, financially capable of, of taking on the challenge of suing their own insurance company. And so basically you have this the sympathetic character. It's not necessarily a widow uh, and it's not a female necessarily. It could be a family, but a family that ends up on the short end of the stick in an insurance claim. And so we were talking about uh, contractors who complain about being roughed up by insurance adjusters uh, financially and, and themselves having to take care of the so-called widow Brown and take a hit themselves because the poor widow Brown did not receive enough from the insurance company to properly take care of her loss. And so we use this term widow Brown as a sympathetic term to represent the property owner in such scenarios. Thank you. Cliff, go ahead. I want you to keep going for a little bit. Okay, good. All right. Um, Peter, you know, you've been doing this for, for quite a long time, and you've been through years where there have not been too many losses and years where there have been extensive losses. Compared to prior years, are you encountering any real noticeable differences in claims that are being submitted and how insurance companies are handling claims from this year's hurricane and tropical season? Anything different? Well, uh, I was just talking to a friend the other day about this. Uh, what's happened in the last 25 years is that during non-catastrophic storm times, insurance companies have devoted themselves to operating extremely lean operations, okay, so that they get the most done with the fewest people, and technology is part of that, that uh, component, that equation. And so when a catastrophic event arises, it's hell's bells to find enough staff and personnel to take care of this because they don't operate with the staff that they used to 25 years ago. Uh, and, I, and I think that has made all the difference. And that's why we're in such a crisis when a catastrophe comes along, because all of a sudden we need, we need, to, we need to multiply the adjuster force by 100 or even 1,000. And where do you get these people? Well, they come out of the closet. You know, a month before they were a produce clerk at the supermarket, now they're an adjuster handling your property claim. And so that's what the big difference is. It's, it's in how the insurance industry has developed and shaped their, um, their, their business profile. Yeah, as a follow-up, Peter, you know, you said that you have these people that might have been a, a clerk in a, in a supermarket that becomes an adjuster. I mean, how do they become an adjuster? Isn't there a test? that's required? Uh, you know, don't they have to have knowledge of policy and you know, knowledge of estimating in order to do this? Well, first, let me clarify. Let me, let me make this statement. I, I don't mean to denigrate a produce clerk at the supermarket. Okay. All right. My, you know, gotcha. But the point is, take Florida, for example. Florida does require adjuster licensing. You can take an online course. You can finish it in about a month and a half, and you will be a licensed adjuster. And you may not know anything, uh, but you've reviewed some policy coverages. You have a rough idea of what insurance is all about. 
that does not make you able to practice the art of adjusting if it is an art. And so uh, a lot of times you'll see guys who have construction background, and so they come in, they, they pass the test easily to become an adjuster, and they have some capacity for building restoration and construction terminology, and they can master an estimating program. But they don't necessarily have the wisdom and the depth of understanding or of human nature and of dealing with people and negotiating. And so uh, that's, that's where you run into problems with people who are inexperienced. But it is not as difficult as you'd like to think to become an adjuster. Hmm. Uh, let me get both of you to maybe tell us a little bit about there are a lot of claims, obviously, in the area, and they're being investigated. And I know Pete kind of threw a couple of words at me here I wasn't that familiar with, but there's causation protocols, I guess. And I guess maybe what we're getting at is, are you seeing anything different with respect to insurance companies um, either declining or accepting uh, a loss? Are, are they using different strategies uh, than they have in the past, or is it pretty much still the same as it's always been? I would say it's uh, probably middle of the road. We're seeing, obviously, there's more claims because while the hurricane wasn't as bad as they initially anticipated, it did hit so many different parts of the state, as Peter mentioned. So uh, there's a lot more claims uh, than compared to last year with Hurricane Matthew, where that hit. Um, so I think just the influx of claims is, is different. And so I think a lot of insurance companies have had to hire um, outside companies for other adjusters to come in. Like Peter said, there's outside adjusters from other states coming in. Um, and sometimes the familiarity with Florida just isn't there. Um, you know, when people reach out to us at the law firm, we're helping people that are having issues. You know, there's obviously something that has happened. And so what we see um, on our end like I said earlier, is a lot of things coming in now because we're almost two months out from the hurricane are things where the adjusters have gotten out to the property, the initial emergency situations have been handled initially, and now it's uh, the things that are coming in under deductible, which is something that we in turn can investigate um, and see if that's accurate or not, if that's an accurate interpretation. Because it is a hurricane, there are things that um, might be overlooked or not anticipated, and um, you know the statute of limitations for hurricane claims is shorter than regular property damage claims. Hmm. So that's something that you know insureds need to consider as well. Um, so I would say it's middle of the road. I think that the volume is different, but I think we're seeing a lot of the same things we see with uh, the insurance companies we interact with all the time. It's just on a larger scale. Jamie, I, I probably should have asked this earlier. What, when you say under-deductible, what does that mean legally? Sure. So homeowners have deductibles in their policies, and uh, normally a deductible is, you know, $500, $1,000, maybe $2,500. Um, and that's on each policy as it's purchased by the insured. They get that through their insurance agent. Um, but when there's a hurricane, there's a separate deductible that is specific to a hurricane. Oh, so while okay. your regular deductible might be $500, your hurricane deductible could be anywhere from over 3000 to, I mean, you know, you look at large losses, they can be, you know, six figures to, you know, even a million dollars for deductibles. So hmm. normally it's 2% 
of the policy or 2% of coverage A. Um, so I've seen that just from what I've seen since the hurricane for hurricane deductibles, I've seen it range from, you know, 2,500 to, like I said, the six figure mark for, you know, commercial properties. So that's where you're seeing a lot of, uh, disagreement, I guess, on what, what, uh, is there a disagreement about what was caused by the hurricane versus maybe what was caused by flooding as well? Is that something you're seeing? No, not really. Um, FEMA, you know, from my experience, FEMA stepped in quickly. Um, you know, the federal guidelines, national flood policies and FEMA policies, they don't recognize the assignment of benefits. Um, so we're not as involved in that side of things, but, you know, we've been educated on it. So um, the flood policies, I have heard from insurance company, from insureds that, you know, the payments are coming. Uh, they are issuing checks quickly. I mean, the a few days after the hurricane, I was getting calls from FEMA adjusters, so I know they were out in force. Um, but the under-deductible scenario is where the insurance companies are saying, yes, there is coverage under your policy. Yes, this is a covered cause of loss, but your deductible is $5,000, and we think the damage is less than $5,000. I see. Peter, would you like to add anything well, I would just say that uh, insurance companies have different personalities and different philosophies in their approach to claims. And, uh, uh, for example, I'd bet that, uh, Jamie, at your firm, when you hear that a certain insurance company is involved, you've been there before. You know that company. You know how they think. Am, am I right about that? Absolutely. Yeah. And then there are companies that I personally would not buy insurance from. And I would not work for them either because of their philosophy, such an anti-insured philosophy that doesn't come through in their marketing, but it's there. And, and their approach to a claim is, is first to find out how it's not covered. How am I going to deny this claim? And if I can't possibly deny it, then what's the least I can pay to get out of it? And <laughs> there are companies with that attitude. And, I mean, they're real. They're real as can be. I don't like to work for those companies, and I don't as a rule. And there are other companies that are more reasonable in their approach to policyholders, usually on the high end commercially, commercial uh, insurers. Peter's correct. I, I agree with him completely um, on everything that he said there because uh, that's something that we do see a lot of. Um, a very good point to, to mention. And uh, another thing for just insurance in general, the Office of Insurance Regulation, uh, they have the insurance companies listed so uh, insureds can do their own research and see uh, information about insurance companies and the complaints that, you know, insureds may have against those carriers. And I recommend that to homeowners when they're looking to change carriers to do that own, their own research on the insurance companies to figure out who's the best fit for them. You know, Jamie, you kind of an, anticipated. Go ahead, Peter. I was going to say, here's another funny thing, Jamie. I'll bet that certain companies, when they come up on a claim that you're going to go against, you already know how you're going to beat them because they use the same shoddy support to deny their claims, and, you, and you're already ready. Is that true? Correct, correct. And yeah. even ju judges in Florida, when we go to, when we actually have to, you know, we're in litigation on these cases, the judges are even aware of it now, too. They know, um, more, they, they expect more, too. So, um, you know, you're correct. We, we do anticipate that. 
Let me get one more thought and a question before we go to halftime. The second half, I'd like to talk more about something you mentioned in one of your answers, Jamie, and that's the assignment of benefits, which I, I know is a big Florida issue. But before we go to that, you, you also anticipated my question, which was, how you know, you guys know who these companies are that don't necessarily uh, that you wouldn't use let's say buying your own homeowner's insurance but you know the the general public has no clue um, other than going to the insurance um, uh, the the site you mentioned Jamie are there any other tips you would give people that are buying insurance with respect to how to choose a company either one of you Sure. I mean, I'm seeing it a lot now. I actually just spoke with someone yesterday uh, and who's a real estate agent, actually, and she's been working with a lot of people, and she's shocked to look at the coverage. And, you know, a friend of mine just, uh, he called, he had, unrelated to the hurricane, he had uh, water uh, pipe burst, and he was like, what do I do? And I was like, well, who's your insurance company? You know, you should make a claim. And he didn't know who it was. So I think it's really important that people know who their insurance company is and they know the basics that are on the declarations page. You know, what's your deductible and what type of coverage you have? Because like we were talking about earlier, sometimes people don't have wind coverage, or hurricane coverage, or water damage coverage even. Um, and, you know, with the hurricane that came through and the roofing issues that we're seeing, uh, law and ordinance is imp an important coverage that you have to actually opt out of. But what we've seen is sometimes homeowners aren't aware of what law and ordinance is and how it how it's important to have so loss of use all of those things uh, additional living expenses you know making sure you understand what each of those things mean um, you know a homeowner has a fire and you know they have to move out of their house if they don't have enough to cover the rent in their in their a rental under their policy then they have to come out of pocket for that and their mortgage that they still have to pay while the house is being repaired. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, it goes back to what I said originally is education. You know, I, I jokingly said there should be a, an insurance 101 when a person purchases a home because, um, you know, it, it's really hard. You don't know what it is until you need it. And sometimes it's not there. Peter, do you want to add anything sure, okay. to that? Okay. Cliff. Well, you know, I, I think to, to build on what Jamie said, I think, and I, I suspect Peter will agree as well. I think that the insurance companies don't really make it easy, and they like it to be confusing. They like the policyholder not to know what they have, not to know what they're buying, not to know what they're entitled to. You, you know, I think you almost need a pictogram where you have lightning that says yes, you know, the check mark <laughs> next to it, or water inside that says no. And then I think people will understand it rather than having, you know, these terms and, you know, the weasel words and, and, and so on and so forth. I think it really should be mandated by law. I, I agree with you. And I, because I do the intake side of things, I talk to these homeowners and these restoration companies. And, you know, you see things like that where there is no coverage. And they're like, but why did I get sold this policy? Yeah. <laughs> and it's really difficult. It goes back to the, the Widow Brown reference. It's really sad. And it's hard to tell someone that. Peter, do you want to yeah. add anything? You could take five insurance policies five insurance companies who want to sell you homeowners coverage and they be the identical policy and the identical price. And you still won't know who really will deliver you 
a premium service because of their philosophy and their approach to claims handling or who is going to handle your claim by telephone and, uh, you know, basically assign your claim to an adjuster that has 500 pending claims who will never answer their phone and never respond to you when you've got a question or an issue. So how does the consumer know that? I mean, it's, it's really the, the insurers control the industry in Florida anyway. It's a, it's a seller's market. You're lucky if you can get with certain companies. That's my thought there. So buying a, a more expensive policy is not a guarantee. Not necessarily, right. Not at all. Very interesting. All right. But but that that being said though, if you have uh, if you're a multi-million dollar homeowner and you can qualify for coverage with a company like Pure or Chubb or AIG Special Risk, they will mm-hmm. treat you with kid gloves. You'll be paying a high premium, but they'll be treating you with kid gloves without a doubt. Hmm. So well, that's all very interesting. Let's uh, take a, a break. We're going to take our halftime break. We'll be back in about two minutes. We're going to copy. Uh, we're going to come back with Jamie Buchanan and Peter Croso. We're talking about uh, Florida and Puerto Rico insurance coverage issues. And the second half, we'll get into the assignment of benefit issue. It's the 2017 Healthy Building Summit, November 2nd through the 4th at Seven Springs Mountain Resort in the gorgeous Laurel Highlands of southwestern Pennsylvania. Join industry leaders and educators as they discuss research to practice, navigating changing industries. It's two and a half days of IEQ, remediation, building science, and home performance. Marquee sponsors include John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Particle Plus, count on us. Exhibitors are AEML Microbiology Laboratories, True Tech <laughs> Tools, Prism Analytical Technologies, FiberLock Technologies, HaywardScore.com, and Instascope by Detection Tech. Register now at HealthyBuildingsSummit.com or call 814 754 4808. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at IAQA.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them, wolfsense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are... John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. All right, we're back. Second half of our sh- interview, um, we've got Jamie Buchanan, Peter Croso. Hey, in the first half, we, we talked a lot about insurance coverage issues and how things are coming along. I, I have two quick questions on that before we go into the assignment of benefit issue. One is I've been hearing there aren't enough workers available to do some of this recovery work and especially the reconstruction work. Are either of you hearing that? 
No, not at all, actually. Um, I, the thing that I'm hearing a lot is about products, um, you know, for for roof rep- replacement and everything, that they're the, getting the products shipped in, that there's delays and in price increases. I and see. I think uh, in general for the rebuild, the the supplies prices will go up, but I think there's plenty of companies and contractors in Florida to handle the work that needs to be done. Okay. Peter, same with you. Uh, yeah, pretty much. But you'll find that the contractors are prioritizing by what appears to be a more profitable job. So you might need a roof replaced that won't get replaced for a month or two while all the other more serious uh, jobs are being done, that kind of thing. But uh, nothing okay. nothing major like, you know. Right. I agree. And I, I think roofers are put are starting waiting lists and, like you said, prioritizing. Yeah, I guess maybe what I saw was more in Texas. I'll have to check with uh, Mike Bowden. We'll have him on in a few weeks and see how things are coming along in Texas. They had more widespread damage, too, I believe. So I agree, let, yeah. Cliff, let me turn it back over to you, and maybe we could get Pete back on here. Pete, the uh, Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, is joining us. Uh, why don't you guys go ahead and take on this assignment of benefit discussion? Cliff? Okay, Pete, uh, you're the guest. I'll give you the first question. Hey, Pete, do we have okay, you on the line? All right. Yeah, I, I'm here, guys. Thank you. Well, look, this, this assignment of benefit um, issue has been, uh, you know, it's been something the industry's been talking about for the last few years in, in a variety of venues at REA conferences, blogs, uh, past IEQA radio shows, articles in the magazine. You know, Harvey um, Harvey uh, first came out with the position paper on this in 2012 during the uh, REA's Closing the Gap um, presentations. Uh, that uh, paper got updated and was published in CNR Magazine um, uh, earlier this year. Yeah, and, and Peter Cross has been uh, was involved in the Gap discussions and, and has also written position papers that have been published on the topic. So I guess what my first question I would throw out there, kind of two-pronged, I think I'd ask Jamie to address it first and Peter second. From from a lawyer's standpoint, Jamie, give the audience and the, you know, the listeners a little kind of update on what's going on with the AOB in Florida. You know, Harvey's been a huge advocate for um, you know, gaining support up in Tallahassee as the insurance lobby tries to, to block or change the AOB laws, which have been around for over 100 years, I understand, from Absolutely. Harvey. And then, and then, Peter, you know, you, you look at it from a, an adjuster standpoint. You know, you're based in Florida, and I, and I know you, you handle losses outside of the state, too, but, you know, you're interacting with insurance, with the carrier representatives who hire you, and obviously contractors. You know, what's up with all that? And give the adjuster's perspective. So, Jamie, we'll throw it to you. Back to Peter, and then Cliff, uh, you jump in and, uh, you know, get, get your two cents in here, too, because I know you're passionate about this topic also. Okay, Pete, we're going to mute you while they answer. I'm getting a little feedback. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Jamie. We'll just Let's start with you. Sure. Okay, great. So uh, the legislative session will ramp up uh, in January, but uh, we know that groups are already meeting. They're having committee meetings on the issue up in Tallahassee. Um, the assignment of benefits has been a hot-button issue over the past, I would say, four years. Uh, to either do away with it or put restrictions on it. But um, like Pete said, it's been around uh, 
you know, the assignment of benefits has been around, it's a principle in contract law, and it's been around for over 100 years. So the assignment of benefits works in a variety of ways uh, in different fields. It's not just related to property damage. It wasn't just created for that. Uh, it's actually what medical providers use all the time um, to get paid by health insurance. And it fu should function exactly the same way. So, so I do know that there uh, are some ideas in Tallahassee. The committees are meeting. Um, you know, we expect it to be an issue again this year. We have, there's lobbyists that are fighting for uh, the assignment of benefits. Uh, the Florida Justice Association is a huge, huge supporter. And uh, the FLARS group, Florida Association of Restoration Specialists, and um, RAF is another group, and they have lobbyists as well. So they're all going to be moving forward to um, tackle this issue again that we, you know, we, we assume it's going to come up again. Jamie, let me ask you real quick. When I go to the doctor's office and they, they make me sign a form like, is that the assignment of benefit form where I'm saying, okay, yeah, you can bill my health insurance company, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's exactly the same thing. Um, I had surgery back in April, and um, I signed an assignment of benefits. And so my health insurance paid my surgeon, my anesthesiologist, and tons of other doctors that I'm still paying off medical bills for. Gotcha. So, uh, but they don't pay – my health insurance didn't pay me directly to pay my doctor. It doesn't work that way. But, you know, anytime you go to a doctor, if you take a look at it the first time you're, you're going there, you actually sign an assignment of benefits. And let me do a quick follow-up. Um, are the – People who in Florida in the legislature, are they going after the doctor's assignment of benefit or is it just the Restoration Industry Association's assignment of benefit they're so, after? It's actually, uh, it ha it's been narrowed recently. Previously, it was all of it. And then, you know, when you do that, you actually deal with the PIP side of things and auto insurance, health insurance. So they have narrowed it. Uh, I, think last I think last year was the first year it was narrowed just to like the restoration side of things i see um and you but, think that's because but yes i mean it would be it would be hard to narrow it but you know that that's you know what the legislature is there for and statutes in place so okay. that's what they're they're they present each year okay peter let, we'll let you comment on that well let me explain to you from an adjuster's point of view what is wrong with the aob and and first thing is that if they're trained for nothing else, they're trained to maintain control of a claim. So every adjuster that's handling every claim, he wants to be in control of that claim. And when the AOB comes up, now his control is threatened and actually taken away at times uh, because now, now something he does may be severely challenged or seriously challenged with clout. And that's why adjusters are uncomfortable with it. Uh, I've had some come up on, on claims that I'm involved in, but I, I see my role as an adjuster very different than, than many adjusters do out there. I, I like to adjust the scales of justice, so to speak. And I like to make it a fair transaction between insurer, contractor, and policyholder. I mean, and I don't think I'm idealistic uh, to the extreme. That's just the way I like to operate, which is a holistic approach. And so when an AOB comes on board, uh, as long as the contractor and I can communicate, it's never going to go to litigation. Uh, 
Um, and, and so you do have adjusters out there who don't feel fulfilled unless they've got a claim that's going to litigation or they've challenged something that's going to draw a lawsuit. And that's where, you know, the AOB rubs them the wrong way. Hmm. I've got a text from a, a listener. I want to address this to, I think, to Jamie. It says, do you feel that the AOB, I guess in Florida, is being used to leverage payment for poor work through an attorney? No, I don't. And we don't see that in the clients that we represent. Um, you know, we always tell our clients that whatever you're putting in the bill, uh, in your invoice, your estimate, needs to be for work that was done. Um, we always recommend that our clients get certificate of completion and satisfaction that the homeowner sign off on, that the work is, you know, they're satisfied with the work. Um, so, no, I mean, in any industry, there's going to be issues or hiccups with companies that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, you can have that if you take your car to get repaired somewhere and, you know, you get charged an arm and a leg and you find out they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, that can happen in any industry. But, um I, I do not see that. I don't see it as a regular occurrence. And, you know, we represent a lot of restoration companies, and I feel that they all do good work, and I wouldn't have a problem hiring any of them to do work in my own home. So, um, and if there is an issue that ever comes up, it's something that we address with that client directly. It's not something that we would let continue if it ever did come up. But no, for the most part, our companies have great relationships with their homeowners, and you know, they're, the, the homeowners are getting the work done without having to pay out of pocket in an emergency situation because of the assignment of benefits. So without it, they could be in a, you know, a, a worse off position or predicament. Jamie, let me get, Cliff had put together a couple questions before we started. I think this is a good time for this particular question. Cliff, I hope you don't mind me jumping in. Um, it says, if a property owner called your firm, your, your law firm, for assistance on a hurricane claim prior to their selecting a repair contractor, what advice would you give to them prior to signing a contractor's contract that contains an AOB provision? Well, first, I'd want to make sure that they filed a claim, that it was timely reported, um, those are, you know, our first questions when a homeowner calls us and we're getting a lot of calls from homeowners that have uh, hurricane damage. So this is something that's going on uh, currently. I've had calls today already. <laughs> so, um, and honestly, I, you know, if when we get involved with a homeowner, you know, we're working with the insurance company to get the funds that the homeowner needs to uh, to pay a contractor to do the work, or um, sometimes the contractors are taking the assignments um, in the anticipation that the insurance proceeds will come, and then either we'll pay them or the homeowner will pay them. So, no, I mean, I don't have a problem with an assignment being in there. I think it's actually a good thing for homeowners. Um, and, you know, we work with a lot of reputable contractors and, you know, restoration companies and that we would be able to direct the homeowner to, and, you know, we wouldn't have an issue with an assignment being in that at all. Now, would you require that the, the policyholder have to sign off on the work? Is that common? I, I'm getting a text in here that kind of indicates maybe there are times when they don't. Do, is it always that requirement that this, the policyholder signs off that the work was completed as stated in the invoice? Or? No, I think um, that's more of a business decision from each uh, contractor or restoration company. Um, a certificate of completion satisfaction is usually recommended after each trade is completed. 
So if a company is, you know, doing water mitigation, um, you know, certificate of completion satisfaction that the job is done or after a rebuild that the job is done. Or if you're doing different work on a rebuild, if you're, you know, um, installing the drywall, then you get a certificate of completion satisfaction just to make sure the homeowner is happy with the progress. I think it's a great business tool to make sure you're communicating with the homeowner. And if they're not happy with the, the service, then you can figure out what it is from a business side of things and address the situation. Um, okay. So, no, I mean, it's not required. It's just recommended. Okay. Um, Cliff, let me have you jump in here because you've got a couple great okay. questions and I want you to figure out which one yeah. you want to talk. What, what I'd like to do is I'd like to address this uh, to Peter. You know, under the assignment of benefits, one of the things that came up in a prior show, uh, we had Ed Cross on. And as an adjuster, you know, you were talking about the insurance company wanting to have control of the claim. You talked about to the adjuster wanting to have control of the claim. And one of the things that Ed Cross advised property owners to do was to obtain a list from their general contractor of all the subcontractors and all the suppliers for their project, require that this list be updated whenever there are changes, and also require that they pay directly the subs and suppliers uh, because if they don't do that, they can be in jeopardy of paying twice. If, the con if they pay the contractor and he skips and the work's not done, uh, you know, they're out paying double. You know, could you comment on that? Well, for the most part, that's a legal question. But I will say this uh, as an adjuster. When we issue a check or have a check issued, our first objective is to protect the property owner. So it's going to have the property owner's name on it. Uh, I mean, I don't think I've, I've handled a claim where I ordered a check payable directly to the contractor that I can even remember. So maybe it was 30 years ago, but why would I? Because I ultimately have to protect the property owner and the mortgagee on that property. So uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't micromanage a claim. I don't necessarily, unless we're doing a time and expense loss, and then I'm taking a look at what subcontractors are doing. Um, but um, I mean, I hope that answers part of your question. And I think Jamie probably would have, uh, something to say addressing the legal issue there. Um, sure. So, I mean, we don't work with liens because we work with people, contractor restoration companies that use the assignment of benefits and they're in there. Some of our clients use both, but they're in co conflict with each other. It's okay to use both, but a lien is against the homeowner, the insured, um, because it's on the property, but the assignment of benefits is for the rights and benefits under the policy for the services provided, um, and that's with the insurance company. So that's putting the insurance company on notice to pay, whereas the lien is directed to the insured. So I don't, um, you know, again, we don't practice in lien law, so, you know, advising property owners to get a list of subcontractors, I think that that would probably be warranted. I don't see an issue with that. But to pay the subs and suppliers directly, I think you're going to have issues with the general contractor because that's why they're the general contractor. That's why you hire a GC. Um, maybe asking for proof that payment was issued is fine or a receipt of some sort so you can check them off and proof that that sub's lien has been removed. But 
beyond that, if there's specific lien questions, I would definitely direct the insured to a lien attorney to see what their rights are under lien law in Florida. Well, yeah, thank you for your answer. I think you've kind of simplified it for us. Thank you. Sure. Cliff, do you want to go to the roundup? Yes, go ahead, Jeff. All right. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up. Move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw hide. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, Okay, let's, uh, Pete, I want to give you the first crack at things here in the roundup. Well, I, I actually, uh, in listening to, you know, the dialogue back and forth to the show, enjoyed it with Jamie and Peter and you and Cliff. I, I actually only noted one thing down that um, I'd like to find out whether uh, either Jamie and or Peter would comment on, and I'll give you a uh, heads up, it's a curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So... You know, Jamie, you made a comment that um, it's public record, the Department of Insurance, and you, uh, you know, of the companies who, uh, you know, um, how the insurance companies are rated, I guess, complaints that come in for the, you know, from the policyholders, the general public, et cetera. You know, the insurance industry for years published their own ratings, I think, based on policyholder input. Certain companies are always consistently rated higher and given better service than others. Peter's going to be well aware of that being a you know an insurance industry insider. So my question is: in Florida, from the public record, who are the companies who are rated as really um, being the worst service, if you would, and are the ones that you'd say are rated better? So like, <laughs> it's, a it's a public record question. I guess people can search it. You have to decide where they want to answer it, and then, uh, then I guess Peter, from Peter's perspective without even knowing that information, if he wants to make any comments. And, of course, that, that'll be his choice on who, who the companies out there he finds from his personal experience as an adjuster are the ones that he prefers to work with versus the ones who are not on his list. So uh, let's see how you all do with that, Kirk. Since we're in the middle of the World Series, I figured I wouldn't be a good global restoration watchdog and an honest broker radio show if I didn't toss it out there. But I did give a warning. And they did have time to think about it. So there you go. That's my one question. Great question, Pete. Hey, 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 Pete, but before they answer the question, uh, I I think what, uh, you know, I I anticipate that there may be some difficulty in answering it. So what I'm thinking is as the catcher, I I caught the curveball. They didn't swing at it. But if you rephrase the, the, the question, who are insurance companies that you would personally hire? Or, buy, or I'm sorry, who are insurance companies that you would personally buy policies from, and who are pol- or insurance companies that you would prefer not to buy policies from? I think we can get to the same uh, place, but I'll give it back to you because you know. Yeah, so Cliff, Cliff, you got me. Ro- you got me just rocking and rolling in my seat with that question. And what I think you did. <laughs> I think you just put a little spit on it and you made it a knuckleball because I don't think you changed the hardness of it all. But, but quite frankly, I will defer to you, Mr. Z-Man, because, you know, I love you. And uh, I just figure whoever Peter and Jamie want to answer that question, uh, that'll be fine. i toss it up to them. I, they're all they're big boys. They're professional people, boys and girls, just generic saying there. And, um, you know, look, we have a little fun. It's a roundup. It's a, it's a podcast show. We, we want to tackle the issues, so... Yeah, they've had plenty of time to think about it, so I'll toss it back. All right, Jamie, let's let you go first. Sure, sure. So um, 
I, I actually, you know, unfortunately, I didn't look up to see the the rating, so I don't know who in Florida is rated best versus worst, but it's definitely something that uh, I recommend insureds looking into. Um, my perspective is a little different because we litigate against all insurance companies, and so um, I obviously have bias <laughs> because, I, like Peter said earlier, you know, we're used to certain strategies and tactics from insurance companies. Um, and there's a difference in my perspective versus a homeowner's. You know, I might not like a certain insurance company because of the way they litigate um, and their strategies and tactics in litigation, but they might af- offer good insurance for their insureds. Um, and I'm going to <laughs> diplomatically say I'm not going to name names as to bad carriers because everybody has a different experience. I will say um, a carrier, uh, if I was purchasing a home, Peter mentioned earlier, is Chubb. Um, you know, I like he said, they treat you with kid gloves. Um, I've only heard amazing things about them. Um, and insurance carriers that I would not purchase just because of my own personal uh, experiences, preferences, and my background in litigation um, would be any insurance company that has a preferred vendor clause or an appraisal clause. Um, Interesting. Because I, I, I personally, my, my assistant just actually purchased a home and he got an insurance policy to look at and I reviewed it for him and it, there were certain things that based on where he's buying, I recommended he look into sinkhole coverage and I also, it had appraisal <clears throat> and it had preferred vendors in it. So I explained it to him what it meant and um, he's opting not to go with that carrier. So uh, okay. those are just my personal preferences if I was looking for insurance um, coverage. But again, I would, you know, talk to an agent and figure out what it is is a priority for, for each individual insured. I think that's fair and helpful. So well done, Jamie. Peter? So you gave me notice of the curveball, but you didn't give me time to research my libel and slander coverage. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to have to pass on that question. But Understood. if you ask me, if you if you see me at any industry shows on a personal level, I will tell you who the bad boys and girls are. And I will say this. When you read or hear of multi-million dollar judgments against an insurance company on a claim, you will tend to find out of 10 of those that three to five of them will be the same company because they're the bullies of the insurance industry. And sometimes that hat is passed on to other carriers. Uh, so just beware. And I think Jamie's suggestion was, was perfect. And if you, if you wrangle me, Privately, I will speak to you uh, unabashedly, but otherwise, I'm probably not going to be sued over what I say. I agree with him completely, and as an attorney, I support his decision. (laughs) My attorney uh, has spoken. There you go. And and we prefer not to be sued either, so that's good. Uh, Cliff, any final (laughs) questions? Um, I I do have one follow-up for Jamie. Sure. Um, you know, in terms of appraisal, I'm not necessarily sure that our audience knows what it means. If you could quickly explain what it means, but more sure. importantly, after doing that, explain why you don't want it in the policy. Well, and that's just me as an attorney not wanting it. Um, but okay, so appraisal is 
uh, when it's in an insurance in an insurance policy that says that the matter must be resolved uh, via appraisal. And what appraisal means is the sometimes it's the insured, sometimes it's the restoration company if they have an AOB that really is a gray area. Um, but they have to name their own appraiser, which is someone who can uh, look at the scope and the loss and come up with a number. Um, and this comes into play when the insurance company and the insured and or restoration company degree, disagree on the amount that's owed. And so um, then the insured will go with the insured because it's easier. The insured has to hire an, an appraiser um, and they have to pay out of pocket for that. And that's not something that's reimbursed by the insurance company. And then the insurance company names their appraiser. And if the two appraisers can work it out, then it's done. But an appraisal is binding. It's final. Um, and then whatever that decision is, that's what the payment will be issued. If the two appraisers cannot agree, then it goes to an umpire. And usually the insurance company and the insured will, or restoration company will split the cost of the umpire. Um, and, I mean, this ranges anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to over a thousand dollars. It just depends on who's hired. And then the umpire reviews both appraiser's information, talks to both of them, looks at the pictures, looks at, and sometimes there's even a site inspection, makes a decision, and then the umpire's decision is binding, and that's what the appraisal award is. Um, and then that's how payment is distributed. Um, and so just the reason why I don't like that is because um, I think in theory it was put together to work like a mediation uh, where two parties come together and reach an agreement, um, but appraisal has kind of taken on a um, a different avenue, um, and I don't think it's as I don't think it's in place to do what it was originally intended to do, which was be a meeting of the minds. Um, I think you know appraisers on each side are, are you know totally for restoration companies and insureds, and totally for insurance companies on the other side, so it's really hard to have a meeting of the minds and come together and make an agreement. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I just don't think appraisal is, I don't, I don't think it is there to benefit the insured. I think it, it delays harms and could lead to less funds that really should be available to them. Very good. I guess the the only option would then then would be litigation. So you know you're talk, you know the, the policyholder would have to pay uh, an attorney to litigate it, and then would have to hire experts. You know in order to litigate it, and if it gets litigated, it's going to go in front of a judge or a jury and. Um, well, you know, it I, would seem gonna, that, that a trial might, might cost more money and take longer, but go ahead. Well, I can just jump in real quick and uh, explain something that um, a lot of times if appraisal is already in the policy and it's been invoked correctly, then a judge might actually send you back to appraisal for it to happen. So, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely an issue that um, it depends on the insurance policy and how it's written and what it says. So it's not you know, always required. It's just not something as an insured that I would want to entrust the future of my home that I've invested in, in a debate between two people that have no real interest in my property. Um, I just don't think it's fair to the insured. But again, they're purchasing that policy. And this reverts back to my very first comment was it's all about education of the insurance policies. And I just want to make a comment that in Florida, 
there's a statute at six, uh, 627.428, and that Florida statute allows attorneys to recover their attorney's fees and costs from the insurance company if the case is successfully resolved, um, whether it's for a homeowner or a restoration company. So they wouldn't, a homeowner wouldn't actually have to pay out of pocket um, because if the case is resolved in their favor, then the insurance company pays their attorney's fees and costs. Interesting. All right. All right. Final question for both of you. Is there anything you'd like to add before we sign off? Let's let's start with Peter Croso. Uh No, I, I think it's been a great discussion. Um, so I, I have nothing to add. I always enjoy talking to you guys. I enjoy your bumper music. <laughs> well, thanks it, for joining it us. It all, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> Jamie, anything we missed? Anything you'd like to add at all? No, I think we covered a lot, and I really enjoyed speaking with everyone, and I enjoyed everybody's perspectives, and I hope the listeners uh, got a lot out of it today. Well, thank you for joining us. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to today's guests, Jamie Buchanan, Peter Crosa. Well done. An excellent show. Of course, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. And the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Thanks for your help in pulling this all together. We'll be back. Actually, next Friday, we'll be at our conference, November 2nd through the 4th at Seven Springs Resort. Just go on to HealthyBuildingsSummit.com. You can still sign up. we got a few spots left. And uh, we'll do a flashback Friday next week. We'll be back in two weeks with the next live edition of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening. <laughs>